Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's been one of those days today, guys. Can you believe I was actually late to my own podcast because I got the dreaded call? I know that you will all know what I'm talking about, depending how old your child is. I got the dreaded call from Alf's childminder to come and pick him up because he had a temperature. And I mean, he seems fine at home. It's amazing how much his attitude's changed, but obviously it's thrown my day into chaos. Luckily, Tommy's working from home today, so he's taking one for the team and he's taking him out for the for the next hour so I can chat to my guest today because this is actually, I think, one of my most requested topics and one that I think before I had ALF, I didn't quite envision how controversial it was, how much it takes over your life in whichever way you do it, and just how much emotion there is in this journey. Well, let me start by introducing my guest. So she is a feeding and swallowing specialist, speech therapist and lactation consultant who has got me through some of the toughest moments of my own feeding journey from the beginning to the dreaded biting and also just to kind of reassure me in a very non-judgmental way about what the right thing to do was and to help bust myths. And there are so many myths with feeding a baby out there. So she is the owner of Feed, Eat, Speak. You can find her on Instagram with the same name. She helps families and children get the help they need when they need it. And she is also a mum of two little ones herself. So I honestly don't know how she juggles it and manages to pick us up as well. So Stacey Zimmel, thank you so much for finally being a guest on today's show. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. As you know, all things feeding, I am in my element talking about them. So I can't wait to get chatting, really. I I think I'd love to begin by saying, by the way, this is a totally non-judgmental zone. And from my own personal experience with breastfeeding, I did find it quite tough to navigate my own experiences and emotions and also the kind of controversy or I shouldn't even be controversy, but there is a real sense of judgment. And by the way, on both sides, I might add, and as I talk about a lot, my sister gave birth a couple of months after me and she tried for a good few months to breastfeed and it was causing her so much mental and physical discomfort until she got to the point where she went down the formula route, which was absolutely the best thing for her and for my nephew, Jasper. So I just want to say on any topic, and also one of the reasons that I love Stacey and why she helped me so much in my own journey was because, and actually I'll say this personally to you, you have never been judgmental. You have never made me feel like you're on like team breast or team bottle which the fact there is a team anyway there shouldn't be no I mean I think ultimately for those of us supporting women mothers parents who feed it's not about us it's not about what we want it's about what they want it's about it's about us listening and it's about us supporting you your sister whoever it may be in whatever way they want and it's really really important that we that we do that and so many 
people, women don't get to access support. We can talk about that a little bit more, particularly in the UK, etc. But for me, when they do come to my door, it's not about, it's not about me. <laughs> it's about you. Why do you think there is so much emotion and yeah, like separate teams around the phrases like fed is best, breast is best. Why does it stir up so much emotion for both sides? Yeah, I think it's really complicated, but in lots of ways, and then in other ways, quite simple. And there are people like Professor Amy Brown, who work in public health, that have actually asked mothers, asked parents about their experiences and have come up with the answers to these. So I'm not going to take the credit for them, particularly myself. But I think the biggest single thing is that, you know, if we look at the data in the UK, something like eight out of 10 women initiate breastfeeding, i.e. they want to breastfeed. And actually at six weeks, based on the last infant feeding data we've got, only like 26% of women are exclusively breastfeeding. So what we've got here is a lot of push for breastfeeding, you know, a lot of messaging from public health, from the NHS around breastfeeding a baby and all the different health advantages it offers you, etc. And then when push comes to shove, women want to do it. Great. You know, that's what our bodies are designed for. But we're not told really the practicalities of it consistently or in a way that helps women understand that when it's tricky or challenging that actually that's quite normal i.e we're setting us up to think that we're failing from day dot and the second thing that the government don't do is provide support or funding to to take action and provide the overall health system with the benefits that could come from breastfeeding and to support women to actually achieve those goals as 80% of women that, that start breastfeeding because they want to. So when things are tricky or tough, like they are for many of us, including me at the beginning, there's nowhere to go for help. So you're left feeling like you failed and then effectively not having a choice because it's been taken away from you. And what that then leads to is, is a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of grief, a lot of, a lot of different feelings. But you're still up against the messaging that's coming across from wherever it's coming from around, you know, breast is best. And then suddenly, what what does that make you that you don't want the best for your child? You know, there's a lot of really strong, conflicting emotions there. So I think that's sort of the crux of, of the issue. And, it, and it's very much about lack of support and lots of very big feelings for women that often stay with them for years because... They wanted to do something and they weren't able to, yet they're told that there was the best thing that they, they could or should do. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I stopped breastfeeding around 12 months. And as you remember, because you were a massive part of that, because for anyone that doesn't remember, Alf was biting. So he got to a point where he didn't even try to feed anymore. He was just biting and biting and biting. And then I would get upset, of course, because my nipples were like scabbed over. It was horrific. And so that would have me on a short fuse. I felt like I was handing my nipple into a piranha tank and hoping for the best. And then all of the messaging around me was, don't react, just endure it, keep going, this stage will pass. And it got to a point of like two weeks of tears, but also not just my own tears, but Alf's tears, because he'd react to me shouting and screaming or being like, stop it. And it, it wasn't fair on him because he didn't, he was obviously too young to understand what, why like mummy was suddenly getting annoyed with him. And I made a decision largely through having your advice as well, though, that I didn't have to endure pain and if it wasn't working anymore. And so I stopped and that obviously came with its own challenges being exclusively breastfed to then stopping overnight. But I now feel, and I'm just going to share this by the way, for anyone who does feel guilt in any part of parenting, but not just feeding, but I very much feel that I know, for example, that the data says there is loads of benefits to breastfeeding until they're two or beyond. I know that, but I also know I did what was best for me. So despite knowing that data, the data that I have in my head of my own mental health, my own sense of freedom, my relationship with Alf, because I was no longer having to shout at him anymore. Like there is not one bit of me that resents or feels upset that my journey finished sooner than I was expecting because it was right for 
for me and my mental health, but also in the end for both of us. And it made our relationship better. And I feel that that's a message that's, I guess, overlooked with the sort of breast is best narrative, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the other one that, you know, I would like to sort of state from the beginning, because obviously you did get to, and I'm not to diminish the end of your breastfeeding journey, and it did end prematurely, but that for the women that perhaps didn't even get off to the start they may have wanted, be that a day, a week or a month, there's a lot of feeling that they failed. And I think that what we actually know and understand, and especially those of us who are working and supporting women in those days and weeks and months and listening to the stories of what happened is that you know you didn't fail you were failed and you were failed because you wanted to provide yourself your baby with this with this opportunity and you weren't able to because qualified professional support wasn't available to you in order to do it or not available to you if you didn't find the right person or you didn't pay hundreds of pounds or whatever it is to find a private lactation consultant. And so you were failed. You did not fail. And I think that's really important for people to hear too. Do you know if other countries get it as part of their health service yeah many many in fact in the in the western world we've got the lowest breastfeeding rates here in the uk and that's lower than in the united states where women go back to work typically at six weeks and they have higher breastfeeding rates beyond six weeks than we do even with exclusive pumping so yeah absolutely god how do women go back to work after six weeks in america That is just mad. I knew that their holidays were bad, but I didn't realise their maternity leave was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd I'd have been like bleeding at work. I was talking to somebody the other day about, and they went back at four months. I was like, how did you go back at four months? I mean, honestly, women are incredible. You kind of touched on it earlier, but you said that your own breastfeeding journey wasn't smooth sailing. Is that how you got into becoming a lactation consultant or what was your own journey and did it change from one to two? Sure. So, I mean, I've always worked in feeding for sort of, I don't want to say, you know, show my age. No, I'm happy to show my age. 20 years plus, actually. And I knew that I would probably get the lactation qualification at some point. And that was definitely made more like, yeah, I definitely want to do this after I had my daughter. Yeah, we had, it was complicated by a traumatic birth, a long postnatal stay, IV antibiotics, jaundice, tongue tie damage cracked painful nipples I was using nipple shields for six weeks I was feeding in pain for about six seven weeks and then it then it was fine you know and then it was great even but I went through all of that with all my skills knowledge and expertise and with the best lactation consultant friends that could have been there alongside me interestingly asked about my second journey it was completely different I was battened down the hatches expecting exactly the same thing and he he just fed and even with a NICU admission for jaundice and and other stuff he just knew what to do no tongue tie and he fed till what we call natural term. So he stopped feeding on his own when he was three and a half years old. Wow, um, what an so, achievement, three and a half. Yeah. Were you yeah. expecting, I mean, it's interesting to me that you are a qualified lactation consultant, the people around you are qualified lactation consultants and you found it that hard. Did it come as a shock to you? Because you were like, at least I know what I'm doing. At least I understand yeah. to look out for tongue tie yeah. all of those things yeah. it did come as a shock because I think actually becoming a parent is one hell of a shock and everything else around that and I think that I look around Instagram now and I look you know I wasn't even on it six years ago so coming up to seven years ago when I had her look at people like you sharing your stories of birth and post-birth like with such honesty and having such an amazing influence and I didn't have access to any of that so I, I think that like I knew that the feeding could be hard but but not the concept of the fact that I could have had a traumatic birth. I didn't even know I'd had a traumatic birth until about three years later when I sort of joined at the dots and realized what a hellish experience I'd had. And no wonder I had postnatal anxiety. I didn't know I had postnatal anxiety till I looked back and realized, oh my goodness, no wonder they didn't want to discharge me from the midwife at six weeks. So I had like none of this. And this is despite working with new parents, with new mums and dads for many, many years. So 
I don't know. I don't know if we prepare women enough to to have babies and to go through the birth and to go through the postnatal period. I think we don't. I don't think we, I think we're fearful of giving too much honest information. Uh, But I also think that sugarcoating things or not giving information is also not helpful. It's so interesting, isn't it? I was actually talking about this with a friend this weekend about, we say, you don't want to be like a just you wait mom. So you shouldn't just put your negativity onto like a pregnant person or a new mom. And I feel like the conversation needs to be there before people are even pregnant. And by the way, like people could never have children, but whether you ever have children or not, it allows people to a have more respect and sympathy and empathy and all of those things for mums, mums and dads, but especially mums. And I feel like it would make society a bit more like, child-friendly and I think we've almost been sold I don't know if it's gaslighting I don't know if they were like we need to sugarcoat this I don't know if it's because of Hollywood films and obviously typically male directors and male authors but we are kind of fed this messaging that we we won't be complete without children so we sort of think it's going to be this amazing thing you don't know what love is until you have a child and no one really talks about all the hard things and I found it hard this weekend I was speaking with a friend who is having a baby and she was saying first of all she was like by the way I'm so fat I'm so fat like I've put on this much weight I think she said 22 pounds or something and I was like but it's not weight it's baby and placenta and milk and like, I was like don't think about it as weight you're not fat you're you're having a baby and she was like oh yeah but you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my body back at six weeks, at six weeks. And I was like, but that is, and I felt the set, not, I didn't care about getting my body back, but I was like back to exercise, even from yeah. a mental health perspective, back to exercise after six weeks. When I remember when I went for a run at six weeks, I was lucky enough to know a private health physio. And she was like, what are you doing? Why are you running? Like, come and see me. And that was when I found out I had prolapse. If I'd have just been left to my own device, I would have just been running with prolapse and making, like, it would have been dangerous for my body. But there is this complete misunderstanding that we just are back to normal after six weeks. And she was even saying, oh yeah, and you know, we really want three children and I'm a bit all or nothing. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have one and I'm going to breastfeed for six months and then I'll stop so I can get pregnant so I can have it. And I'm going to have three children and then I'll focus on myself again. And it was so hard not for me not to say like, just you wait. And I was like, I'm not going to be that person. But like, I was thinking it, you might, you might go through childbirth yeah. and, and you might have an amazing childbirth and I wish an amazing yeah. childbirth for everyone, but also even like the casualness of, yeah, I'll just breast- breastfeed for six months and then I'll stop. And I was like, I bet there were like so many women, probably the majority of women who were like, I would have loved to have breastfed for six months or like, or maybe they, they thought they wanted to. And then, it, you know, cause like even what you said, what struck me is it's amazing with your first that you breastfed throughout the odds. But what I find hard is why is it that there is an expectation that we just suffer through pain as yeah. mothers? Because you said you went through all of that for six weeks and then it was fine. And by the way, like hats off for the tenacity, but that was the overwhelming message I got when Alf was biting, just keep, mm. keep going, keep going, keep going. And I was like, but what? Sorry, like, I, I'm like literally being physically attacked, maybe not like maliciously, of course not. He doesn't, he doesn't mean yeah. it, but why, why do we just expect mums in the same way we celebrate if someone does it, has a um, childbirth without pain relief? Why are yes. we celebrating pain? Yeah, I know. I think there's a few things, isn't there? I think that often in, when it comes to breastfeeding support, people aren't qualified and they don't quite know sort of how to sort of fix it. And there's a lot of just sort of poo-pooing it. And, oh, yeah, it's meant to hurt. Don't worry. Your nipples will tough, toughen up. You know, that sort of – and that's often women to women. And it's, I think, a reflection of just healthcare professionals often just not having – the honesty to be able to say, I don't know why you're in pain. That must be really difficult. I'm not really qualified to help with breastfeeding beyond looking superficially at the latch and saying, looks all right to me, but I'm going to go and get somebody else more qualified. That's what our healthcare professionals need to be saying to women and, and they're not. And I think there's a sort of feeling of like, also like there is a sense and I think there is some sort of knowledge to back that up within the lactation world that often there's a lot of labor if you like associated with establishing breastfeeding which for some 
breastfeeding people will come with pain, you know. However, with support, so I had support. So I knew that I wouldn't continue to breastfeed in pain. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, you know, I'm getting the superwoman hero medal for this. It was, you know, I'm getting support. I'm working on the latch. I've had the tongue tie divided. You know, it's quite cognitive for me to know that this is hard, but I, I knew that it would get better. And I knew that I was fixing the things that were difficult and other people were helping me to do that. But and so we understand that. So I think sometimes what people are trying to do with the best of intentions is help you understand that sometimes the biting, for example, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm just hypothesizing, you know, is a phase. And, you know, we know that some nurslings do bite and typically there are strategies that can help. And I know in Alf's case, you tried those and they didn't help and they didn't work for you, but they typically they do. So, you know, you do get through it. And that's, st- that's still not okay. That is still not okay. Can you imagine if a man went to the doctor with like ripped testicles <laughs> and was told, oh, they'll stop, just keep powering through, don't complain, yeah, just, shut just, up, Yeah, just on. keep dipping your balls in ice and you'll be fine. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to like equate it to something different. And I think you had experiences even with GPs, didn't you, Ashley, where you were like, what? I remember when I was about five weeks postnatal. I don't even know. Is it called five weeks postnatal? Five weeks? Yeah. Five weeks postpartum. 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 Oh, there postpartum. We go. Yeah, similar. Um, I same, got same. this really itchy rash on my boob. That was when we started speaking. Yes, it was. Yeah. Through Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please help. Because I had the reddest most itchy rash across my boob and I've honestly never experienced anything like it it was excruciating and I couldn't stop itching and everyone kept saying around me stop itching I mean it's like getting a mosquito bite and being told not to itch it's like but it's itchy it was honestly unbearable and it was during lockdown and so I couldn't get a physical appointment and I actually can't, I still thought maybe I was being pranked. Like, not that I'm famous enough to be pranked. It would be a really shit version. I didn't think it was like Ashton Kutcher, but I <laughs> rang the GP or they rang me back. I can't remember how it was. And it was a male doctor. And he said, well, I would ask you to send me a picture of your boobs, but you probably don't want to do that, do you? Ha, 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 ha. And he, I feel like he was even making like really weird comments. Oh, that was it. I was saying, can I use this cream or I'll prescribe you this? And I said, is it breastfeeding friendly? And he was like, well, your guess is as good as mine. And I was I like, mean, well, it's shocking, well, isn't I, it? I actually don't want to guess. I was like, I, I mean, I don't want to use something that's not breastfeeding friendly that could either kill my child or like, I don't know, whatever it might be. But I was like, this is honestly absolutely mad. And in the end, I think I paid something disgusting like 350 pounds yeah. to go see a private dermatologist and they were like oh yeah it's some kind of rash and you need a steroid cream and that was like another 60 pounds private prescription and I was like if someone yeah. had just seen me or like cared yeah and this is it and you you know we're in a position where you were able to do that and you had support from me who was trying to sort of figure it out and you know but if you're not what is what's the alternative for the other for the woman you know where the GP is like I don't really care if the the cream works or not and actually I'm not even going to differentially diagnose this rash because I'm too embarrassed to look at a breast you know part of of, of the anatomy of fifty percent of the population and I'm a doctor you know what hope is there I mean it's funny in like just the most shocking way but actually. It's horrific. It, it, it's it wasn't horrific. funny. Tommy was yeah. like, sat there just like, he was like, do you want me to take over? Do you want me to take over? Because he was going to go nuts. And I was like, no, it's fine. It is what it is. But it, you do just feel totally unsupported. Yeah. I know that lots of people listening will be, well, m- maybe some of you will be at the beginning of your feeding journey. Maybe some of you are like, I finished my feeding journey and I never want to have to think about <laughs> formula bottles or boobs ever again. But wherever you are on your journey, what would be your advice to people who are going through the kind of struggle at the beginning and, you know, the pain and, you know, you gave me so much good words of wisdom in those first few days. So what what can you say to people and how would they know even if their child potentially has tongue tie? 
So the first thing I would say is that pain is not normal. Pain's not okay. And you shouldn't have to feed in pain. It's just, it's just not. So beyond 30 seconds in the first few days of the first few feeds, where it might be a bit uncomfortable when they latch because you, your body's just not used to it. Any other form of pain related to breastfeeding is not normal. And so if anybody tells you it is, or if anybody looks at how your baby is latched, so assuming it's like nipple pain, for example, and says, oh, the latch looks good, it just can't, it just can't be. <laughs> because something to do with that nipple and that baby's mouth and the two things together are causing that pain, whether or not somebody with little to no training probably is telling you that the latch looks good. I mean, what does it say to a woman or a parent who's breastfeeding that the latch looks good, therefore what? Therefore what? Now the latch looks good, yet you're in agony every time a baby feeds. So what? what's your choice? Breastfeed in agony for every single feed for the rest of your breastfeeding journey or give up? You know, and that's this is a predicament. This is a situation that many, many women are in. So what I would say is if you're in pain and somebody's telling you it's normal or that everything's fine, then go and ask for somebody else to help you. And I think going backwards, if this is something that you think that you want to do, you know you want to do before your baby comes, a bit like a job, right? To go for a job interview, you wouldn't go completely unprepared. So there is a responsibility on us to recognize that, you know, it can come with challenges. So the more you can prepare yourself antenatally, even if that's, and it doesn't have to be paid for, you know, there's lots of free resources online, my account, different accounts, you know, blogs, even classes through the NHS. So, so it doesn't have to be paid for. And the only other thing I would say is find out where you're going to go if you need help after the baby's born. Because as you and I both know, Ashley, those first few days after you've given birth, you may not, you know, some of you might, but you may not be in the best place to advocate for yourself and for your baby. And so if already you have got phone number of lactation consultant, local drop-in group, where to rent a pump if you need one because milk's not come, whatever it might be, and you've just taken the time before the baby comes to have access to all that ready and also your partner if you have one then I think that is a really good investment of probably an hour of your time before your baby comes so they're my sort of tips what do you think about the pressure with babies dropping weight after birth because I feel like that's where a lot of people I don't want to say switch stop their breastfeeding journey but at least start to unexpectedly combi feed or whatever or or stop because my midwife put the fear of god in me like so alf was 9.5 pounds but then in that first week so i i did actually pay for a lactation consultant before he was born just because i'd heard through lucy mech and various people that there could be complications so i thought okay well I, I will spend the money and obviously I recognize that that is a privilege that I could spend the money but I did decide to spend the money there's lots of things I'd rather spend money on by the way I'm not so I'm not so privileged that it's not a lot of money but that was something I decided to do but then when he came I still felt totally unprepared and I was trying to remember everything and then the midwife kept coming and putting like he's dropping weight he's dropping weight you, you know he's hungry you need to improve your latch and then I was like okay well I was I was told it's a bit you know, it's quite normal for them to drop a bit of weight. But if I hadn't have had the kind of knowledge of the lactation consultant, who, by the way, I got to come one more time because I felt really confident at the beginning. And then after that midwife visit, I felt completely demoralized and I got flustered. Yeah. I was like, I can't remember the positions. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what I'm doing. And Tom was like, you can, it's fine. You. And yeah. also what's bloody annoying, and I talk about the hyper-sexualization of boobs all the time. You can't, freaking find a youtube video on how to breastfeed because it's all balloons and buttons and knitted things it's like show me a bloody nipple like this is not porn like it's not the woman's body is not bad but i'm sick of looking at like a little knitted dolly boob i want to see i want to see how my nipple is meant to go in the mouth and i can't because there's no nipples on the internet 
unless it's on a porn site, which is obviously like not the kind of nickel oh, I'm right, looking for. Actually going for yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if people are listening and they are feeling that pressure of oh, my baby's dropping weight, I'm going to have to stop. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple of things is that there's a lot of weight loss that's normal. So by anything over under eight percent of weight loss is absolutely fine in the first five days. Absolutely fine, and even between eight and ten, it just means that we probably need to look a little bit more closely about what is going on if it's between eight and ten you know you don't want to weigh in necessarily before day five because again we expect the weight loss so it's just again arming yourself with that knowledge and information and also you or your partner if, if you don't feel able to in those first days you're know, advocating for yourself and, and and asking the question so if you're told something about a weight say well is it what's within the guidelines for that you know is that is that within the guidelines and often if asked a very direct question they have to reply and say yes that's within the guideline so that's the first thing and then the second thing is if you do find yourself in a position which does happen where your baby has lost a significant amount of weight and therefore you are you know you need to feed your baby which is absolutely imperative it's also about being aware that actually you need to do a few things. You need to make sure your baby's fed. You need to make sure your breasts are stimulated. So the two things together. So again, that doesn't mean you automatically need to supplement with formula. You might have to, and that would be really important for your baby and arguably life-saving in that situation if they've dropped a lot of weight and you haven't got enough milk for them. That's exactly why we would use formula and that was a perfect situation. This is, by the way, above 10% weight loss, so not, not below it. Um, but you need to be sending the messages to your breasts. And what often I see is where there has been a weight loss, nobody's gone what's going on with this baby's feeding why have they lost weight let's help it so that doesn't get addressed and nobody's gone to the mother what are your breastfeeding goals what are your goals for feeding oh right you want to breastfeed right okay well we need to make sure baby's fed but you need to tell your breasts to make milk and this is how you do it here's a pump here's this and this is how you do it so then two weeks later there's no milk and the baby's now not latching because they've been guzzling milk from a bottle and, and in that moment there was no support to help that person, that woman, to achieve their their goals. And, and that's not an uncommon story at all. And you wouldn't know that. You know how, again, there's so much trust we put in our healthcare professionals and other circumstances. You know, you've got a problem with your bowel. You go to a doctor or a bowel specialist. You know, there's no not knowing. There's no like, I don't, I don't really know what to do with bowels. Or, you know, there's no like making like you know what to do and then it not being right but we have got that when it comes to infant feeding there's a lot of that that goes on ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, a brand new podcast bringing together people's real ghost, extraterrestrial and paranormal stories, as well as getting some inside details from those who study the supernatural. I'll be listening through your paranormal stories every week and try to understand them, as well as chatting about my own encounters with an occasional paranormal investigator too. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. Just search for Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding. I think as well it's like the judgment. So I never really had a plan with breastfeeding. I really hoped I could do it, but I was kind of very aware that if I couldn't, I couldn't, and that would be okay. So I always had a couple of bottles of formula in my cupboard just as like a back up and especially when I saw my sister going through what she did and how much her entire world changed for the better once she stopped torturing herself and just decided to go bottle fed and I remember sometimes feeling a bit not resentment but sadness that Tommy couldn't share the feeding journey because Alf wouldn't take a bottle or my sister or other friends who'd stopped breastfeeding could just go out for the day and not have to think about their boobs leaking or the fact their child might be hungry. And I I started, especially the longer along the journey I got, I started to feel like a lot of loneliness with it because every time I said that, oh, it's hard or I wish I could go away and it was kind of like, well, just stop then. And I was like, yeah. oh, but then, and then I, I remember once on Instagram because at the time, obviously I was breastfeeding a lot and showing the sort of, and a lot of it, I wasn't, I never really made a plan of like, I'm going to be, hailed as this breastfeeding sort of champion yeah yeah. and but I I kind of was put on this pedestal stool especially after doing it on the Jeremy Vine but I didn't do any of that through plan it was just my reality my reality and because I didn't have a lot of time on my phone and I obviously my work and life is online and what I share online it was kind of the best time for me to have both my hands free to be able to be on my phone so I'd be breastfeeding and then I'd have a little chat and a catch up and talk about where everything was going and I remember when a lot of messages I'd get were like you're shoving it in people's faces we get it you breastfeed you're making people feel bad and that was always my I never want I never want to make people feel bad anyway ever but especially with something like feeding and especially because my sister had was you know formula fed I was like I'm not even against formula so I remember saying one day look I've got formula in my cupboard because I was trying to be like I'm not on a team I'm not breast is best I'm not team boob I'm just doing what my best in my circumstances. But then I faced the wrath and backlash of lots of the breastfeeding community saying, you know, I'm promoting formula. And I really wasn't at all. Why do you think, because say like you were always very kind and like, look, when you need to stop, you'll know and like just stop, like, you know, formula is not bad or whatever it was. But why do you think for some whether it's lactation consultants or, you know, people on the team boob side, why do you think they have this like huge issue with formula when for a lot of women it is like their only option in the end? So I would have thought that they don't particularly have an issue with formula per se. I'd be surprised if it was specifically that. I don't know how sort of gender up you are. It's not like a whole other podcast on some of the practices of formula feed, uh, formula companies and some of the sort of pretty unsafe and scrupulous practices around formula, particularly in the third world where they need access to clean water, where they'll potentially like they give it away for free and then women's breast milk supply dries up and then they haven't got access to formula or they don't have the money to buy the formula and then and this is like endemic within I'm not going to name the companies but there's you know if you want to look into that so I think there's a lot of feeling there's a lot of feeling around that and then I think probably when there are people of 
influence, however you want to call it. I know, you know, you are just you doing what you're doing. There's a sense of, therefore, that that's promoting that, especially if you show the, the label or the brand or, the, or whatever. So I think that might have been part of it. But then I think the other part of it is that there isn't a lot, you know, relatively in the UK, there aren't a lot of people sort of openly, as you did and as you have, breastfeeding, whether that be on national television, which like you said, was just like, I have a baby who's feeding, this is how I feed him, or whether it's on Instagram because it's convenient for you because, you know, got your hands free, finally sitting down. They're promoting and not promoting it, but just like living that life, the reality it. and normalizing it. And then I think that there is that just absolute outpouring of, I guess, like happiness that there is that really positive messaging about it. Because ultimately, we still live in a culture where actually bottle feeding is the norm. And it's not against bottle feeding. It's just that then when women, you talked about, you talked about feeling isolated as a breastfeeding parent. And it's when then other people are showing that other women feel less isolated to know that they're breastfeeding toddlers or they're breastfeeding, you know, beyond six months, or they're also exhausted and haven't managed to go on a date night yet and their baby's six months, eight months, nine months. And so there's a lot of love and a lot of really strong feeling for that. And I think that there's just there's just too many just like camps really within it and you know like you said you know like this sort of real like you can't have one without the other or you can't it should just be about supporting the woman and baby right it should just be about supporting any single individual's choice people don't fall out of love shouldn't fall out of love with you because you've stopped breastfeeding or because you've got formula in your cupboard like it just just shouldn't be like that and I I suppose I I should have started the question by saying I, I don't know how to speak to that but I do think that these are some of the influences that make it seem like within the breastfeeding world they're anti formula or or whatever but i don't believe they're anti-women's choice it just goes back to the choice being often taken away and you know so much influence that we that, that lay people i suppose are not aware of from the formula industry i think that's where a lot of sort of pushback comes from i suppose from. seeing someone with lots of followers and yes i, I did i wasn't promoting the brand i've never no, promoted the brand but it was like look I don't have it in there. I'm not against it. And then yeah. I guess people just saw the brand. But that's really interesting about that some of their more like unscrupulous practices. Yeah. And then kind of touching on what you were saying about the sort of like the judgment and feelings of isolation. For anyone who is feeling isolated because they are still breastfeeding, what advice do you have for them? Because I know you helped me with this because I feel like there are lots of myths around and I got to a point, I think Alf must have been in about nine months, wasn't he? And I was just, I knew I was really depressed, not to do with breastfeeding. And I, I really was like, I feel like I've made a terrible mistake. I just don't enjoy motherhood and I'm so alone and I hate it and everything going on. And I guess as well, it was that total dependency of having Alf and of, on me, needing me all the time like needing my boobs all the time and just feeling completely isolated and anytime I tried to talk about it people that it would always be like oh well just stop then or you're making a rod for your own back yeah making a rod for your own back (laughs) or even like the sleeping he was waking up every half an hour and people a lot of people were saying oh well give give him a give him a formula that makes them sleep and when I messaged you saying I will do anything at this point like my mental health like I need I need to survive, basically, wasn't it? I was like, I can't. Yeah. I, I'm just, I was in such a low place. And I was like, it, it's, even if I wanted to stop breastfeeding at that point, I was like, I don't even know how, like, yeah. how, how can I do it? And you said to me, actually, I would love to tell you that formula would make your child sleep, but it's not true at this point. Can you yeah. talk a bit about that? Because I do think a lot of women kind of get fed certain narratives and stories and perhaps as well how you can stop if you do feel for whatever reason you're kind of at the end of your journey, even if it's with biting, it's still not clear cut. Okay, we'll just stop then. There's three little three things I guess that came up. The first thing's about isolation. And I think that's why again, you know, there are a lot of, of, of us that are feeding beyond six months, feeding beyond one year, feeding wherever. And I think part of um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but part of your experience, Ashley, around how you were feeling at that time is that you didn't 
actually know that many other people who were parenting in the way that you were and parenting through breastfeeding, co-sleeping. And that does lead to you feeling very lonely, very isolated, especially in a culture where we don't co-sleep and we don't breastfeed beyond much beyond six weeks, let alone six months. And my my advice to anybody that's listening who was where you were, Ashley, or where other people might be, is that you absolutely aren't alone, but you might need to go and find your village, you might need to just go online, whether it be through Facebook groups or Instagram accounts and find where the other people are who are doing it like you so that you can go back to feeling like the way that you have chosen or your baby has led you to parent them at this point. And I call it parenting because I don't think once you get, you know, sort of into the older ages, and it's breastfeeding per se. I mean, it is, but it's it's a way of parenting a child too. And find them and seek solidarity with them and, and share how absolutely debilitating it is to be nursing hourly through the night, even when you're co-sleeping and to have not felt like you've had a minute to yourself and all of those things, because we we have been there and felt it and done it. And we have had moments where we've wanted to stop and we've had moments where we've had abundant joy within it and, and all of that's really normal. So that's what I would say to speak to that sort of loneliness and if other women are feeling that. And of course, if you think what you're feeling is any more than, than feeling low, you should go and speak to somebody that you love and trust and consider speaking to your GP as well if, if, you know, if you're feeling really, really sad about things in terms of formula sleep yeah i remember that conversation i remember that time it was really really difficult i think i remember very clearly a friend of mine who had breastfed their first child around the same time as me for quite a while older than one i think and then i saw her and she was she was had a second child and i said you know how things going she said oh i'm having a nightmare i stopped breastfeeding when he was eight months because his sleep was terrible and everyone told me to give him some formula so i started formula feeding him my milk dry up and sleep still terrible and now I'm just not breastfeeding him which is what I really wanted to be doing and I really thought of her when when you said you know that's if this is what I need to do I'm going to do this because the science and the evidence would not suggest in in anything beyond the first few months that formula would give a baby any more sleep and then after the first two or three months is on a par with breastfeeding and then so, so certainly it isn't you know once you get to the age or stage that, that you're at any more likely to to help a baby sleep it really is just in those very tiny newborn days where I think because of the probably because of gastric emptying time is double that of breast milk they just are full of a longer and therefore they may sleep a little bit longer between feeds and that even that's not a guarantee so i think that when it comes to sleep and you know you found your way through navigating some holistic sleep coaching i mean that's a whole different conversation yeah, didn't you with Annie at sleeping bunnies and yeah just help because i was always yeah. sort of against this the more like traditional training of crying it out again course, not yeah. not no judgment to anyone who has because my sister has in the end and lots of people have but Alf and I found we just needed almost someone to like help us slowly guide out of that co-sleeping environment and make me feel a bit more like myself yeah it's funny though isn't it because when you're going through those emotions and in that first year whether it's sleep whether it's how you feed your child they really are these like huge talking points like if you go to a mum group or baby swim or mm. you've got friends or siblings or your mother-in-law whoever it might be everybody talks about how you're feeding them and they always have a comment either if you formula fed it's like oh you should have done breast is best or if you're formula feed you know or if it's the other way around and you're breastfeeding and they're like oh you need to give them a bottle they'll sleep better give them a bottle of formula and no one's actually just supporting the people because actually the worst thing you can say to someone that either doesn't want to breastfeed or has reached an end of the journey through through no almost like no choice in the end they had yeah. to do what they had to do that was right for them the last thing they want to be told is that breastfeeding is the better thing and equally when you're through the trenches of breastfeeding and sleep deprivation and you really don't want to be told that you should just give them a bottle like people just need to like support and empower each other but what Absolutely. i was going to say is what's interesting is once you're out of those trenches 
no one talks about it at all. Like not one mum that I've met in the last six months has asked how I'm feeding my child or how he sleeps. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because actually there's still lots of us who might still be breastfeeding at this stage. Funnily, you should say that because I remember when I got to an age with Gaby, he must have been like maybe like one and a half. He was a big boy like Alphas and like, you know, like sturdy, robust, tall. And I got to the point where I, I actually didn't want to breastfeed him in public. It's really interesting given my background just because it, it's just not, seen and then you don't want to be the one that's really putting that out there and I I felt really sad that I felt like that but I did feel like that and then once I was reading Beyond 2 there were just very few people that I told that I was doing it not that necessarily people asked or people would make assumptions that I wouldn't be and then I would be in a moment where I was like should I or shouldn't I you know people I'll say for example somebody might say to me how long did you breastfeed him for? You know, he's like two and a half, like chatting around next to me. I'm like, oh, um, you know, it's just for as long as we both wanted, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like depending on the person. So wherever you come from, that there's, there's still something, isn't there? It's, it's really so interesting. interesting. You're so right. Like when I hear that people have breastfed, you know, Lucy Mack, 18 or 19 months or something I think it's amazing you three and a half years honestly you deserve a medal I don't I don't know how you did that but you're right I not through judgment or anything but I think because I'm so far out of that journey I wouldn't presume that someone else was in it and you're right maybe I do need to be like more I don't think I'd even ask someone though like well how long did you breastfeed for because I actually I don't think it really matters at the end of the day yeah the other thing is like you're not still breastfeeding, are you? Did you, you get still breastfeeding? Like that? And did you ever have to feed in, in public? And did you feel? Yeah, I mean, if he was unwell or something, I might have. But in you know, it, it changes the feeding dynamic changes for an older child, baby child. So you know that he was way more interested in like doing other things when we were out and about, and we, we fell into more of a routine of like feeding to sleep for his naps and feeding to sleep at bedtime and, and a morning cuddly feed and then unless he'd got really upset and banged his head or something he wouldn't necessarily ask for it and I would have yes I would have if I, he needed it but it was really funny I'm like even with my Instagram account I, I wasn't really talking about it that much in the time and now that I'm out of it he's four now I'm so proud of it and I like would want would want to tell everybody that and I have no goal to breastfeed him that long and in fact when I was doing my lactation consultant course and I I will say this they showed an image of a mum feeding what was probably a four-year-old and they asked us all how we felt about it at the time Gaby was like there with me he was about six months on that and and I remember looking at it and just going oh god that's like a really big child I mean I wouldn't do that and then roll on three and a half years later you know that's a lot for me to sort of own up to because what I meant to be like all for everything and actually we don't see that and yes there are many countries where there are lots of children that age feeding but in the UK we don't see it we don't see it at all so then we do feel isolated maybe even shame maybe even like some secret weird like what is it because it's just like not a thing here and I and actually now I think that if I've got an opportunity I've got a voice to sort of also normalize that end of feeding in the same way I can normalize stopping breastfeeding whenever the fuck you want to you know sorry to swear but like I want to normalize that too I want to normalize like it being about whatever you want I just want more women to be able to choose at the beginning and be supported with that choice but if you want to breastfeed till they're five if you want to stop at 18 18 months I want to empower you to do both of those things in whatever way they can and that's what I wish our society was about and it's not and it's funny I saw a meme about like shame on women and it's true like no matter what you do you get shamed like you're saying you breastfed until three you felt shame or you got you were shamed if you don't have a baby you get shamed if you do have a baby and you give them formula you get shamed but like I don't think any dads are there being like did did, do you how how's your child felt like there's no shame on them and it's just so interesting isn't it because you're right we should and I'll be honest if I ever have another child if I'm ever able to have another child, if I decide I want to have another child, I honestly could not say 
how I would feel about breastfeeding again. Because I think because it was this like such hugely intense journey, amazing, like like so many highs. I think that was one of the reasons I was so scared to stop as well, because when I hated every other part of motherhood, that was the bit I loved. And for me, it was like reclaiming my boobs that had been like so sexualized since I was 13 years old. And I think that was also why I was so proud to breastfeed publicly like because I was like fuck you like this is what this is what they're for and I'm doing it and if people have problems with it well I'm sorry you had problems with my boobs as a 13 year old so like that that is on society that is not a me problem and I think that's why I like was so like I don't care if people have a problem with seeing me breastfeeding that's that's their problem not my problem but saying all of that I guess you just don't know how you feel but I honestly couldn't I can't imagine I can't even imagine going through the newborn phase again or it just feels like this sort of like hyper intense dream slash nightmare <laughs> it's really interesting because I offer breastfeeding debriefs and I I think that whatever way things happen but like if you've had like a very intense breastfeeding journey like you had and Alf was very sensitive towards the end as well wasn't he relative to like having some boundaries to sort of help you with the biting and then obviously you had lots of challenges with various things at various stages and then you start to think about if you may have another baby or perhaps you might find yourself pregnant and then there would be women for example who really wanted to breastfeed and there was like a catalogue of things that went on and lots of told lots of maybe wrong things and then that didn't pan out for them it's quite a scary place to be when you think about making a feeding choice for a second child or also thinking about how you feel about a breastfeeding journey that ended prematurely, that felt that that wasn't in your control, that had traumatic elements to it, like extreme pain, whether that be like you were inviting at the end or, or whatever. And I think that we... We, you know, it's really important that we value ourselves enough to allow ourselves to debrief those experiences, particularly in the... Not always or exclusively but especially in the context of perhaps thinking about where you want to start again not to make you then choose to breastfeed again but actually to empower you to make a choice that is still informed but that takes into account that you've processed everything that's gone before to allow that choice to be truly informed rather than coming from a place of fear or a place of worry or a place of something else and you know again I would just say I'm not the only person that does this and I think arguably you might be able to get some of it on the NHS I'm not sure but this is a thing you know that you can do if you're sitting here listening to that and thinking perhaps like you like I don't actually know what I would do and actually Perhaps I'm holding a lot of stuff from what's gone before when it comes to feeding my child or baby. I think as well, it's that intensity of it. Like, would I be able to do it that intensely again if I also had Alf? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. How did you find it breastfeeding with a second? So I find it, found it okay. But I think I have to acknowledge some of it was the temperament of my second baby. So my first one didn't sleep at all, really. And he just was like, I mean, honestly, he fed. Then he would like sleep for three hours. Then he would wake up, feed and go back to sleep again. He was doing really long stretches at night, which again, bursts the myth that breastfed babies can't sleep. Although to be fair, there's a, you know, they're called unicorn babies. <laughs> Clearly, you know, most babies don't sleep, not just breastfed, not just formula breads and why we're sleeping through it five months I mean, it, did change. It, it did change he didn't keep it up as is the way but yeah five weeks sorry so I think I found it I found it all right and I think also because I've had an experience where it was so awful and painful and everything hard at the beginning the first time around I, I was re- I was like I was like healing wounds, I think, is how I would describe it, both from my birth and from my first breastfeeding experience. And I think I went into it thinking it was going to be different in a much worse way than it was. I think that was part of empowering people to make a decision second time round in the, in the context of maybe the first time being particularly challenging is to recognize that it's going to be different or it's most likely to be different, not necessarily better, but just different that each baby and boob dynamic are going to be 
completely different. But there's a different level of intensity when it comes to meeting the needs of two children. But I suspect that's going to be there regardless of the feeding choice. I wonder as well if you've kind of adapted a bit more to like motherhood, even if it had been a few months ago and I got the dreaded call from nursery with Alfie, it would have thrown my entire day. I probably would have ended up cancelling the podcast because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to look yeah. after Alfie and I can't do my work, but I need to do my work. Whereas now I'm like, okay, it is what it is. Tommy, you're going to have to look after Alfie and do the podcast, then I'll take over. And it's a bit more like you just have to cope because that's what you have to do. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's also something about having lived every stage already. And that's not just with, with breastfeeding, it's with, with parenting in general. So all the times that you go through with your first child, it's the first time you've ever been through it. So when it's something really, really hard, you in that moment with child one, can't even imagine how you're going to get out the other side of it. You do, and then you learn that, and that goes in the bank. So when you've got child number two, and it's really, really hard, and you're like, anxiety levels are through the roof, and you haven't had more than God knows how much sleep and God knows how many days, and you're Googling, like, can you die from sleep deprivation or whatever, you actually know, you do know that that won't, you won't die. <laughs> and it sounds awful, but you do. You do know that because you've done it. And it, it doesn't take away how hard it was, but when you've got a second one, there is a different level of, like, I can do this, I think. I think for me, for anyone listening who maybe is feeling like, oh, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> like, motherhood <laughs> is shit. If you're in that phase, which I know not everyone feels, but a lot of people do feel just like the what the fuck stage. I know that it does get better. You do get out of it. And it's interesting, actually, because I've been asking the last few guests about what it's like to have two kids, just because obviously it's kind of on my mind, if I even can. And I know that we've been chatting literally for an hour. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it with you, but I did want to read this message from Grace. She said, hi, Ashley, I've just listened to your latest episode and I wanted to respond to your final question to your guests regarding having a second child. I had my first baby in January 2021, so I've followed your journey since you were also pregnant. I feel like we can relate on so many levels. I had a pretty traumatic birth, but once I was discharged and sent home during lockdown, I felt like I started to really enjoy motherhood. However, similar to you, as the year went by, I felt my son started to get more independent and didn't need me so much. I started to become quite negative and down, feeling like I'd lost all sense of purpose and drive for anything. I always knew there were more dimensions to me than just being a mom. I'd had a decent career before my first child, but I had to resign from my job during maternity leave as they wouldn't offer me anything below a 40-hour week. I then got offered a job that was part-time and met the hours I needed, but having achieved two degrees and six years into a management position to then go into this role on an absolute insulting salary, I lost myself and felt like I was being punished by society for going and having a baby. My son is now nearly 18 months old, a complete joy and finally sleeping. I've only just finished our breastfeeding journey, which has meant so much to me considering I feel like my body was a failure when I gave birth. I've recently found out I was pregnant with my second. I'm married and in a stable, loving relationship, but I'm not going to lie. I still feel a complete sense of overwhelm and no joy initially when I found out. Completely different feeling to the first pregnancy. I guess I almost know now how being on maternity leave and not being at work, having any time just for me affected me the first time. Having said that, I'm now into week 11 of my pregnancy. I finally started to get my head around it. I'm pretty sure that the first six months once the baby is born, if it all goes well and baby is healthy, will be hard. Having a two-year-old and a newborn to look after in January, the second is due pretty much exactly two years since my first was born, midwinter. I know now that everything lasts for a season and we can get through anything if we can get through lockdown with a newborn. I keep telling myself this time will be different. I will have a significantly lower expectations of the newborn bubble while also hopefully having a bit more of normal time with friends and family to support me. I live four hours from my own family, but I have a wonderful support network for my in-laws and friends. Although I, I might sound a little bit negative about the second pregnancy, I'm fully aware of how blessed I am to be able to be pregnant again. But as I'm one of the first of my friends to have kids, I'll certainly will be supporting them so much and give them the reality as well as the wonderful blessings a child can bring. Grace. That was a really long message, but like lovely message. And I feel kind of like sums up what we were saying. But any thoughts on that as a mum of two? Can you give Grace any sort of wise words or hope yeah I think she's right about it the seasons I think that's the main thing I think I would say and I think there'll be hard times and there will be times of great joy 
Daisy, thank you so much. I know that we've covered so much ground and it still feels like not enough time. But for anyone who is going through their feeding journey and wants to follow Stacey, her Instagram is Feed, Eat, Speak. And she gives so much amazing free advice. And obviously you do work as a lactation feeding consultant, speech therapist as well. So thank you. And thank you for all of your support saving me on my own journey as well. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to all to you guys for listening to Mums the Word, the parenting podcast. I really hope today's episode was helpful for lots of you on your feeding journey. For those of you who've who like me are not on your feeding journey I, I hope it's like a nice reminder down memory lane of all those kind of intense feelings and I hope we're all proud and guilt-free to be on the other side however it worked out for you I'd love to know what you thought of today's episode you can get in touch on whatsapp you can send voice messages which are free you can send them anonymously you don't even need to tell me who you are but the number is 075 or you can email ask mums the word pod at gmail.com or you can leave a review on apple Podcasts. obviously the five star ratings really help other people find us and i'll be back with another episode same time same place next week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.